the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with retired Navy SEAL Cam Hamilton. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Tuesday, January 16th in the year 2024. Tonight we have a great interview with retired Navy SEAL Cameron Hamilton. He's running for Virginia District 7 Congress, and he is doing well. And so I want to make sure that in this interview tonight, as you listen to how you can support him and to get to his website to make sure we're supporting him as much as we can, whether it's financially our volunteers, which he definitely needs. This is a man who has served our nation in the most elite of special operations teams. He's dedicated his life to the service of our nation. He is truly at the cutting edge of the type of people that we need in Congress, and he's of a class of people that you will hear me talk again about in tonight's interview, what I call the uncorruptibles. These are the people that literally face this evil and have no desire to do anything other than to serve the will of the people and to restore our nation as our founding fathers intended. He's a power and a force to reckon with, and I will guarantee you those that know what's coming are afraid, and we need to make sure they stay that way. That's why we want to support him as much as possible. As a footnote on that, and you'll hear me mention it in the interview tonight, on June 18th is his primary, and we are going to run a prayer night session for him and to make sure that we're praying into that and having open line prayer and conversations to keep that focus going because there's nothing like prayer to bring victory to a political race and put God in the front. And that's one thing you'll find about Cam. He serves our Lord, and that's fantastic. Patriots, before we get going tonight, make sure you are doing everything you can to keep yourself prepared. There's a couple of things on that, but one in particular is the EMP side. These people are psychopathic pedophile fools that run this nation and run this world, and they will do anything to protect and cover their trail for what they've done. We are dealing with people that have done the craziest and most grossest things in crimes against humanity, things that aren't even stomach most people can't stomach, and they will do what they have to to cover their tracks if they get the opportunity. EMP Shield. EMPShield.com is where you go. It is a product designed specifically to protect ourselves from EMPs, what, zero, level one, two, or three, uh, lightning strikes, or solar flares or solar storms. Very important. This is an American-made product, a veteran-owned company. They've been American-tested at the best labs for the highest standards of DOD. So head on over to EMPShield.com, EMPShield.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. You'll get $50 off and free shipping. And while there, check out their resource library. All the certifications are there, as well as all the installation manuals are there. Super easy to install. They have a product for your vehicles, for your ATVs, for your house, for your RVs, for ham-based radio stations, for solar systems, or standalone generators. They're a fantastic product, and I have a number of them installed, and we'll continue to add them as we need them. Really encourage you to check it out, and it's a good insurance policy for the time we're at. So again, empshield.com, empshield.com. Use your promo code BARDS, $50 off and free shipping. Patriots, before I begin tonight, I want to make some very special thank yous 
Now, today is the 16th, which is now five days past my birthday. And as the uh, mail service is working these days, things seem to be running a little bit slower. But I have been overwhelmed and humbled by the gifts that have been coming in, and I want to thank you very much. The Bards team, Bards Mod team, along with Resistance Chicks, uh, Michelle and Leah, uh, came together and presented an amazing gift to me, which I'm very humbled by, and I, and whoever else was involved in that that I don't mention, but I just want to thank you all deeply from my heart. This was a horse blanket and the and, and the bridal systems all made in America for the horses that are forthcoming on the property. I deeply appreciate that. Someone else sent me tonight, and uh, I'll send a thank you note out, a beautiful coffee mill, um, amazing. I've had some beautiful cards coming in and just a, a variety of things that have just come in for this birthday. And I just want to thank you all. I'm, I'm deeply humbled and uh, it's not something I'm accustomed to receiving. I'm probably much better at giving than I am receiving, but nonetheless, thank you. Uh, it's deeply heartfelt and very unexpected. Uh, so thank you all. You mean a lot to me. And this community and this nation that we have built means an enormous amount to me. I want to make a special call out, though, to one particular person, and that's Nikki. Nikki is our mod. She has a heart of gold. She works relentlessly to help build this network on social media, and she has organized a lot of this. And I just want to make sure we recognize her for all the great effort she does to helping build this out as we do. Um, her her efforts on social media, the things that she does, the the violations that she wins all the time and overcomes, if just to understand what a force she is on the web to get the message out is incredible. And it's not our message, it's God's message. So make sure you give Nikki a pat on the back and a thank you and a love and a hug and all those things because she really has become such a critical part of this family and the success of this operation and getting our message out. So thank you, Nikki, very much. Patriots, this is part of who we are as a family, and I'm. And when I see things like this, I mean, I, I am very honest. I'm very deeply humbled, and I, I thank you all. And I just want you to know that that things get very busy. I, I'm believe it or not, I'm still going through things for almost 18 months to two years ago, and I feel embarrassed by that. But we've had such an incredible growth and so many things going on that it's difficult sometimes to keep ahead of what comes in. You have all been unbelievable the supportive, generous, giving in your heart. And if I don't mention you by name, please know I know you in my heart. And I'm deeply, deeply touched. So thank you very much. We have an amazing community. We have a, a, a fantastic growth going on in our social media site now and in Community Bards Nation, which I got a report tonight. And though it doesn't sound enormous, I think it's very important that we have like 700 active people on our social media space and it's growing. We're going to be adding Pete Chambers over there. I'm trying to get Brad Miller over there. I'm trying to get other people from the 231 over there. And we're going to be setting up hopefully a 230, 231 hub over there for this new in, uh, DMA, Direction, Declaration of Military Accountability. And we're trying to bring people over there to try to stimulate more conversation, which will happen. So that's another side of growth to look at as we go into 2024 that I think is very important. We have a lot of initiatives. God puts a lot of things on my heart. And a lot of the things we do aren't always completely cycled through as far as a completed project. There are a lot of ideas we put out here. What's very impressive about Bars Nation as a whole is that people take the initiative. And really that's what's on my heart is that we put things out there. People are taking the initiative to do them themselves, not just to wait for one person to lead, which is important because that's how we literally survive. 
this year is going to see a lot of things happening. And we're involved in a lot of initiatives. The Cantrells are with me up at the property. This is part of bringing two ministries together, Bards Nation and the Cantrell Ministry, as we also integrate in with Resistance Chicks Ministry. As we know that with Pastor Debonise and what she represents, bringing that ministry of many of the black pastors in alongside of us, as well as ministries of Glad Tidings and the ministries of Navajo Nation. Now, just think about what I just said and where we were two years ago. This was not even envisioned. And yet here we are as a hub and a, and a f- common banner, if you will, that ministries are coming alongside of us, and we're truly building a tremendous force to be reckoned with in the body of Christ. And this is something to celebrate. Tremendous statement towards all of you, tremendous statement towards all of those that are joining us, because this is not about division, this is about unity. And we're deeply humbled, truly are. And so tonight is going to be an example of that, because here is a Navy SEAL. He has seen some of the most extreme combat. As you, If you were at Bards Fest, you would have seen, or if you watched Bards Fest, you would have seen and, and experienced Cam Hamilton. He is a fantastic father. He's a family man. And he was called to run for office. And in doing so, he had to resign his position at Department of Homeland Security. Cam and I didn't know each other at that time, and other than being introduced by my close friend and brother, Corey Terry. And he made a, a reach out to me at, at Corey's suggestion, and Cam took a risk and called me and said, hey, brother, Corey said maybe you can help me pray on something. And we prayed together And that's how we built that first step of friendship. And that's truly the beauty of this is that we are building on the right step. We built it in the spirit. Cam humbled me immensely at Bards Fest. And if you remember, he carried to Bards Fest and handed over to me the last American flag that he carried in combat. And that was his gift to me. And it was a bridge that builds and forges a deep bond with one another, and I'm deeply humbled. That's one of those very precious gifts you receive in your life that is a reminder of the obligation that we have for integrity, the obligation that we have in pursuit of excellence, and the obligation we have to always triumph and never quit. Cam brings that to this fight. He is, in by many people's standards, he would be outgunned and outnumbered, but in the true Navy SEAL fashion, that only excites him more because he finds the challenge of victory ahead of him even greater when, he's, when it seems to be impossible. That's the heart of a great warrior, and we're going to be part of that this evening. So, Patriots, I just want to encourage you as we go through this to check out Cam Hamilton's site, and, and we'll have those links up for people to follow and to, to check out. Do support his campaign. We are going to be part of supporting a number of campaigns this season. As we know, President Trump just had a major victory in Iowa, and it's a statement of the climate of America. Now, the one thing I made a comment of this morning that I want to highlight, and I, I think everybody that has the right heart for politics would agree, Politics are a process and part of the war that we're in. And while it's exciting to see President Trump win, I, we are nonetheless in a war. I don't know what brings about the, war, uh, the victory in Iowa. If you've heard me talk about it, I've said that if, there's, if Trump wins, then it's a hack of a hack, meaning we've got something else going on the backside. But nonetheless, we'll take the victories as they come. That said, President Trump is not going to fix it all. He can't. He's one man, no matter how anointed he is or not anointed. Fact of the matter is, he's one man. He is the right pivot that we need in this particular hour and in this particular season. But our eyes have to constantly be where true victory comes, which is our Father. And in our worship, when we and we sit down on things, we have to be careful not to slide into the political sense of idolatries, which happens too quickly. So keep our eyes on our Father. When we have victories, thank him. 
be excited if you're happy if President Trump wins. If you're not excited if President Trump wins, then I would say maybe pray for forgiveness for your own heart, for hating, for wanting to see this country go into misery, because everyone else will do that. We are not going to go into an easy walk here, and no single man will solve this problem. This country was never designed to be led by a king. The only king we've had in this country is our king, Jesus. And with that, that's where all, all of our rights come for our creator. That was principally it. So keep that in mind. It is a country that we're having to relearn how to be Americans and how to be patriots again. It's a country where the power is to we the people and the government is subordinate to us. That changes everything in the way we see politics, accept politics, and work with politics. So we have, we're in an era, we're coming out of an era where we have looked at presidents to be the change agent so we could pass them the keys and walk away and forget about politics for four years. That does not happen anymore. Part of being engaged in our communities is to be active, to be informed, to be constantly engaged with what's going on. And that means that what happens in federal has to be replicated at our local level. The biggest change we have to make, and while there will be a lot of focus this year on the federal elections, because it's also a good distraction and a great way to put money into constituents' pockets, the fact of the matter is that the only true and real fights that we have have to happen in the local area. That means we have to continue the pursuit of securing our counties, getting our sheriffs in place, getting our county commissions reset, and getting all of those people in the local area, including our district attorney and all of the necessary places in the county set correctly within a constitutional framework and a constitutional mentality. We need that because that county structure with the sheriff outside of this executive office is the most powerful office in the country. And we're going to need this as we go forward, especially in our pursuit of justice. If you refer back to the interview I had with Ivan Ranklin a few days ago, he and I see things very similarly. That's part of this justice is not going to be able to depend on a corrupted federal system, but rather it's going to fall on the local sheriffs and DAs to execute the warrants, to execute the arrests, and citizens' grand juries to deliver the punishment for the crimes that were committed. That's a different way of thinking, but it so makes our local political space so hyper important in what we have to do. So enjoy the victories of President Trump. Keep your eyes focused locally for the greater victories that will come from there. And with that, as we change our counties, we will change the nation from bottom up and from within. So with all of that said, let me introduce you tonight to my good friend and someone I deeply respect for all of his service and what he continues to serve this nation as, Cameron Hamilton. I can tell you that there's a couple of members of Congress right now that are getting some kickbacks from some large defense contracting companies mm-hmm. and the recent NDAA and even the discussions about the extending the bill, there's more emphasis on procuring hypersonic missiles than there is on actually paying off the national debt. And that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, it is not. And uh, mm-hmm. so there's, I've learned quite a bit recently from several different conversations. It's immensely frustrating. So, Dude, we, we, yeah, so there, there's, there's been, there's been several things about that, that I've, I've been astonished by, um, you know, just I've learned more and more. Some of the people that I originally thought, oh, these were great folks. Like my mom was really frustrated because she used to give to a lot of different members of Congress. Mm-hmm. And then as I found things out, I told her some of the truth behind certain members. And she realized, holy crap, I've been giving for years to this guy. And now I feel just gross. Yeah. And, uh, I get you it. know, it's, it's just reality. It's all about money. It's sick. 
It is. It's sick, man. And that's why we. That's why I call you. I don't know if you've heard me refer to you as the class of the uncorruptibles. This is why I'm going to get you. I've got you. I'm going to make a movie out of it, the, the uncorruptibles, which is just truly awesome. But it truly is that. I mean, there's because there's a moral standard that comes in from where you come from, the roots that I've had a chance to walk with, and it's it is that uncorruptible. You're like. We're just not going to take this, right? It's pretty amazing. So, well, let's kick this off. Yeah. I'm super excited. It's going to be a great interview today. Looking forward to it. Let's do it, bro. Patriots, I am really excited today. And we've had him on before. This is Cam Hamilton. He is a retired Navy SEAL. He is awesome. He is running for Congress in Virginia District 7. And he is was at Bards Fest. He's an amazing speaker. He's a father. He's a husband. He is everything that we would want to be in Congress and he's of that class of people you've heard me refer to as the uncorruptibles. So, Cam, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm well. Uh, How are all, you doing? Doing great. So let's get up to speed a little bit with your campaign so people kind of know what's going on and where you're at with that. Absolutely. So I'm I'm running for U.S. Congress here in the Virginia 7th, which encompasses about 10 counties. It's uh, from, from west to east, Green, Madison, Culpeper, Orange, Spotsylvania, Fredericksburg, Caroline, King George, Stafford, and the eastern half of Prince William. Roughly 900,000 voters, give or take. And it's a, it's a fairly amalgamous sort of district. It has a heavy rural portion. It has a very heavy suburban portion, a lot of federal government employees. It's, it's suited uniquely because the ongoings of both federal and state government influence this region quite a bit more than the average uh, that you'll find in the United States. Because again, you have so many federal government employees living, working all along the 95 corridor. Um, so my campaign is running as a, I'm running as a grassroots constitutional conservative with a firm emphasis in limited government. And I will tell you from a primary perspective, we are gaining ground every day. There is a primary and then there will be a general in November, primaries in June, June 18th specifically, with, uh, with six weeks of early voting. So I think early voting starts May 4th or May 5th. And then the general election will be later in November. It's currently a seat held by Abigail Spanberger, who's not seeking re-election. And she's retiring and running for governor in Virginia in 2025. Because in Virginia, we have a constitutional amendment that requires governors to not run consecutive terms. You can run multiple terms, just not consecutively. So Youngkin is unable to run for a second term. So she'll face off whoever the Republican nominee is on the Republican side if she wins her Democratic primary, which it's very likely she will. It's a D plus one district. So it's moderate. It's within the margin of error. So it's really a swing district. It was held previously by Eric Cantor and David Bratt. Um, and I will say that from the grassroots movement and the conversations that I've had with people, we are gaining ground every day, getting more and more local support. Um, I've received some monster endorsements. In addition to Nick Freitas, who's my campaign chair and actually asked me to run in the first place, I've also been endorsed by Congressman Eli Crane out of in Arizona, House Freedom Caucus Chairman Bob Good, and I've also recently been endorsed by Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Um, so again, a huge honor. Um, and Senator Paul is very reluctant to give his endorsements, and it was just a tremendous privilege and blessing that he was willing to endorse me and my campaign. Um, so we're fundraising well. We are right behind kind of the lead establishment-backed candidate. And when I say establishment-backed, I mean the candidate who was literally selected by the establishment, the former Speaker McCarthy. Um, but all things being said, um, we're doing very, very well, and we're gaining ground. And I'll be honest, I think we have a, an extremely clear path to victory here for the primary. 
and for the general. So the primary, you, do you have to win the primary or can you place in the like top two or three? You do. Yep, you do. <clears throat> so that focus is really, so that, some, I mean, that's your some short-term states target. Have a, have a, that's correct. Some states have a runoff where essentially you, your, your top candidates across the spectrum will, will all uh, have their votes cast and then they pick the top two. And then the top two go at it for the seat, uh, unless one of those candidates passes the 50% threshold. Um, that is not the case here for federal seats. That's usually some state seats that run that way. So for this one, to represent the Republican Party, I have to uh, I have to win the primary, which is a state-run primary. Others now, there's you can run you can run as an independent, and that's perfectly fine. I think it's actually unlimited independence is what you can run as. Uh, but in the Commonwealth of Virginia, an independent run right now is, frankly, a non-starter. Um, it's not really a, a platform position that you're going to garner a lot of public support in. So this primary, then, you say, what's the date again? May? June 18th. June 18th. Well, let me suggest something, and I'm opening it here for you to consider, but I would love to run live on that night for you, and then we can bring in getting people to pray for you and just and keep that the focus on that. We'll plan on that. I think that'd be awesome. And we'll, we'll get, uh, would, I think I can get Michelle and Lee involved and with it as well. And we can get a couple different platforms moving and really get the focus on you and, and lift you up. You yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. I, I like this. We want you to win. Come on. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want that too, but most importantly, I want the glory of God to be shown in all things. Oh, that's beautiful. And no, I want I... his goodness and his providence to, to ring true, no, that's... whether that's me or whether that's someone else. Well said and well said by a humble warrior as well as you are. Cam, just for people that don't know you, let's get a little background on yourself just so they kind of get a context. Of course. So um, I joined the Navy fresh out of high school. I was, uh, I enlisted to become a hospital corpsman and with a specialty contract to attempt to go to BUDS and become a Navy SEAL. So I went to core school up in Great Lakes, Illinois, or Great Mistakes as we call it, and became a basic medic in the Navy. We call it a hospital corpsman. That's the military occupation specialty. Then I completed BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, and then earned my trident and spent roughly 10 years in service as a Navy SEAL and as a SEAL medic. Um, at that time, the Navy had just transitioned from what was called SEAL qualification to SEAL designation. It's where in the past you had these different rating specialties, but you were qualified as a SEAL. It was like an added bonus, even though you worked full-time as a Navy SEAL. Um, in 2006, the Navy changed it all over to where SEAL actually became your specialty. You were called special operator. So I was a special operator and medic in the SEAL teams. And then after 2015, I transitioned to the State Department. I worked there for uh, roughly five years, working within the Director of, Oper of Operational Medicine, specifically within a program called Project Guardian, where we uh, protected U.S. dignitaries and VIPs overseas, U.S. ambassadors, Secretary of State, high-ranking individuals on behalf of the United States government in foreign policy, in more dangerous locations like Somalia or Yemen or Libya or places like that, sort of as a post-Benghazi security and medical response force. After that, I transitioned to the Department of Homeland Security. I worked three years there, a little over three years, actually, as a division director for emergency medical services, where I maintained oversight standards 
for about 4,000 EMTs scattered all principally throughout the southern border, but all throughout the United States and DHS. Um, and then after that, I resigned in August of this year to run for United States Congress. Um, that's a bit about who I am professionally. Who I am morally and, and ethically is a husband, a father, and a Christian. Um, I have a wife who still likes me after 15 years. I don't know why, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. And I have three beautiful children, Micah, Vera, and Salem. And we live in a place called Orange, Virginia, uh, about three miles from where James Madison has been laid to rest, and where wow. his family property is. So um, the halls of the streets where I walk sometimes daily are literally places where the, the, the orchestrator and the writer of the United States Constitution walked himself. Uh, I live not far from what's called Constitution Highway, um, which is really remarkable. So um, a lot of rich history here. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and, and my family and, and, and who I am. That's awesome. Recently, I launched on the 1st of, it was posted on the 1st of January, was the letter, the Declaration of Military Accountability. Um, there was 231 signatories on that. I was one, you were one, which is a great honor to be on that with you. And it is a tremendous statement in our time for where we are going and what we're calling for. And I think it ties in and marries in beautifully with at least what I understand your campaign to be. You want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and Scott, it was an honor to be on there with you as well. Ultimately, it's it's an honor to be on there with all the patriots that chose to put their name on the line. It's a public declaration. It's a promise. And we've gone away from pledging and oathing in a way that we can hold ourselves accountable. And so this was a statement to reinvigorate the American people and remind individuals that the oath of office we took is paramount and that it's not to be trampled on lightly. And the oath especially claims that we will uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. So this letter was putting many different high-ranking officials within the Department of Defense that, that they're put on public notice, that if the people and if our government lack the will and the power to hold them to account for the egregious oversteps that they, that they perpetuated and for the grotesque infringement on civil liberties that, that was conducted by uh, at their hand, that we would take it into our own hands and that we would pursue means so as to ensure full and transparent accountability. Uh, the letter itself requested three things principally to summarize. Number one, a complete and total acknowledgement of the unconstitutionality of the vaccine mandate upon the active duty and reserve forces of the United States military. Number two, a formal um, you know, repudiation of those policies through through reconciliation of individuals who were punished. We want restitution to be granted in such a way so that individuals who suffered as a consequence of those mandates, either financially, morally, spiritually, psychologically, you name it. Um, we want a, a complete repudiation of those efforts and a reconciliation made by making them whole, uh, by giving them you know, back their positions and their titles that they were deprived of by reinstating certain authorities that they had previously, by ensuring that their service records are expunged of any potential wrongdoing or any, any disciplinary action that was brought against them so that once again, we can keep these honorable patriots in the service or at least give them the option of living their lives in peace, but on good and honorable terms. 
Uh, number three, it's a firm commitment to ensure that these public officials who have engaged in the wrongdoing are personally held accountable under the Articles of the United Uniform Code of Military Justice, of which there are specific provisions which can be adhered to and which can be conducted to do so. Um, so that's in essence what the letter means, uh, you know, from a from a causality or from a practical sense of what it's seeking to accomplish. It's really though a battle cry. It's meant to be a bold flag planted on a hill, uh, despite the fact that you're surrounded by enemies. As this shall stand, and we we will not surrender and retreat from from this horde. And so the Mark you know, and, and Rob and so many others, you know, who ultimately orchestrated this letter and then, you know, built a coalition of like-minded patriots. It was just a tremendous honor to support them. And some of the bravery, there are people that signed this letter, by the way, who are still on active duty status or still on some form of active status within, within the military. So that takes a tremendous degree of courage to do that, where potentially they are going to bear the brunt of repercussions. Uh, the, the, the declaration also brought about a petition that we ask other people to join and to show support for our cause. And there are service members, quite a few that have signed this petition. And we now know that there are some service members who signed the petition and have already experienced minimal reprisal as a consequence of it. Um, so what it shows is that this whole mandate was really nothing about public health. It was about tyranny and control, social control, and our commitment to the American people and to ultimately high-ranking members of government and legislators, for that matter, was to ensure that we defend it, even if they wouldn't. We would defend the Constitution, and we would defend the autonomous rights that God has given us that are not instituted by man, that are simply upheld by man, and which are confirmed in the Constitution of our, of our government. This is one of the most unique documents in our nation's history because it brings together active and veteran class of people that have literally called in the end of the day for the removal of every single GO in our ranks because every single GO violated the law and did not stand out for right. what was morally right. I think what was also unprecedented in this is it was the 05 class, Lieutenant Colonel in the military. I don't know your, there's a Lieutenant Commander, I believe in the Navy. Um, that is stood up, and obviously Rob Green's commander, but I'm saying the majority of those are 05 class that is speaking into the, the vitality and the revival of the military, which is a tremendous statement towards bold leadership of the connection still with the soldier on the ground. What's your thoughts there? I completely agree. Um, look, Napoleon says very clearly in his maxims of war, uh, he talks about culpability, culpability of his commanding officers. And when you read his maxim, it's very explicitly clear on, you know, you don't have the authority to say, oh, I was just simply given orders. And his instructions to commanding officers on enforcing unconstitutional or, for that matter, detrimental orders, which would, you know, yield a, a consequence to their force that's obviously undesirable and would, would bear, you know, significant hardship on the force or potentially even lose the campaign. Napoleon believed that you should hold these commanding officers directly and personally accountable. Um, so that they have the autonomy and the wherewithal and the decentralized command to be able to refuse orders that they know to be to be detrimental to the force itself. Um, we should have seen more high-ranking officers in the military simply say no. 
And what this shows, the fact that this letter was written, it is exposing, in my opinion, some of the over-politicization and the lack of priorities that has been going on in our military for quite some time. This was not a new effort. Um, this isn't something that happened overnight. It frankly happened with the expansion of a bureaucratic state and of a overtly political upper echelon of military leadership. So commanding officers who are unwilling to make critical decisions at their own expense, or that might be uncomfortable, frankly have no business commanding the lives and the authority over others. And that's also what this statement shows to indicate is we should have seen high-ranking officers either simply refuse to enforce the mandates or when bearing the face of consequences, resigned. Resign their commission and state publicly, I can no longer serve in the armed forces while these egregious offenses are being committed against honorable men and women who simply want to serve this country and are willing to do so, risking their lives. We didn't see that. We saw very, very few examples of individuals show some real stones and courage, moral courage, courage that comes at personal consequence, the type I've mentioned before. Um, and that's just unacceptable for us. So for me, when I was approached about signing this letter, it was an honor and it was an easy yes. Of course I would. Because it's time for us to expect and demand better leadership in our armed forces. And we know that the political class of our nation and many in the upper echelons of government um, have a go along to get along mentality. So this is our, our rally cry to them and to the American people that no longer will we sit quietly and allow these egregious things to take place. Um, so I completely agree with you. I think every single commanding officer that was found to have perpetuated, even in a minimal way, unconstitutional mandates should be personally held accountable because ultimately it wasn't just individuals' service records that were held liable. People's lives were ruined. We kicked out between six to 8,000 troops, many of which had uh, discharge paperwork that said other than honorable, or even in some semblance dishonorable discharges, punished under the articles of the UCMJ. You can't qualify for veterans' discounts for most places if you have an other than honorable discharge. Um, and so we had individuals who were forced to make a hard decision. You know, for example, Rob Green writes about in his book about a private who is in boot camp and endured. 35 to 40 days of hardship where he was basically persecuted almost with religious fervor to take the shot, refused to do so. Um, they refused to accommodate his religious beliefs and he was booted out of the military. This young aspiring man wanting to give so much to this nation. And he was booted out. Why? Because of a political religion. And so uh, the letter very much stands in contrast with the past. And we intend to hold the individuals accountable because what we've seen over time is that bureaucratic state expand and no more. We can't accept it anymore. So frankly, a complete purge and expunging of our upper echelons of leadership, I think would be wholly appropriate. There are so many brilliant younger minds. If we foster ingenuity and creativity and, and allow people to make mistakes, acknowledge mistakes, move past them and expand the, the industry of the military, we will have the most unbelievable force that has the best morale the world has ever known. It's interesting, the timing of this, when you consider the changes in the nature of warfare. Much of our leadership is still anchored in that Cold War mentality, even though that ended officially about 
1995 and 2000 range. And yeah. we went to, went into GWAT, the global war on terror, and now we've pivoted really into that next gen, which is the fifth generation warfare model, and even pushing into the world of sixth gen with AI. It's going to take new leadership. So I guess I look at this in, a, in kind of a twofold thing. Our current leadership is not capable of dealing with this sort of new level of warfare. And I, I say that candidly and boldly because I've dealt with it, and it's it's not where the power is. The power is where this where this voice of change is coming from, which is our 05 class technically and below. And so I, I think that in that sense, when you're, you're here, you're running for office, and this is a, it's a bold thing to be part of, I would assume that this has to be on your mind in terms of revision policies and the sorts of things that you can affect as a, a potential con- congressman going up there to bring these sorts of changes. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the unique role of a legislator, and we have, you know, the United States is a very unique anomaly. We have three principal branches of government. We have the executive, which actually executes existing law. We have the legislative, which writes and, and evaluates determining what law is. And then we have the judicial, which simply is a, a supposed to be a neutral arbiter to determine what's fair, what's appropriate, what's reasonable, what's not, um, what is good in standing, and what stands in balance. So the, the judgment, if you will. Our legislative branch has a very, very, very unique amount of authority. It's it's also kind of astonishing how in parliamentary systems, the legislature and the executive are in many senses coupled together. There's a very there's a very purposeful reason why our founding fathers for this country intentionally removed that that marriage, intentionally created barriers and echelons because of the consolidation of power and what it does to the human mind and the human will. Um, they saw it, they lived it firsthand, and they wanted to keep you know, some form of a legal construct in place so as to prevent it from occurring in the United States. Now, we've seen things blend quite a bit. For example, executive orders, that's an order simply established by the executive branch in a way that creates new restrictions or potentially new law that, frankly, the founders really did not intend to be used as broadly as it is now. As a legislator, however, one of the other unique things that, that you have as a member of Congress and ultimately even higher than that, the upper house, which is the Senate, legislators write explicitly congressional language and appropriations. So what they do is they pass bills to fund government programs and actions. They control the purse strings, and they're the ones that actually establish new law through bills. Uh, and there's a specific progress you know, administratively that bills go through to be passed certain echelons that have to be met, certain forms of coalitions that have to be established, certain majorities that have to be achieved. But all of that being said, the legislature has the unique ability to make a statement such as, for example, you know, individual X shall do item Y with funds Z. Well, individual X, Congress can expand and extrapolate that language even further so as to give supplementary definitions on what individual X exactly is where it exceeds and where it does not. Item Y, what individual X is supposed to then do in this new bill, funding of a certain governmental program of a certain federal department, that can be expanded upon. And so for example, when the secretary at DHS was engaging in 572 reorganization authorities, there was a parameter from the Affordable Care Act that talked about portability of licensure, which ultimately, um, was brought to DHS to include within our appropriations, 
Congress came up with 16 different definitions of what the term healthcare provider meant. And, and it was explicit because there are huge programmatic and contractual obligations put on the line when you use a simple term like healthcare provider. What does that mean? Are you, can you be a contractor? Do you have to be a direct hire? Can it be a service member? What kind of service member? What qualifies as a healthcare provider? What sort of qualifications do you have to have from a medical um, you know, schooling perspective? Do you have to have a bachelor's degree? And so all these things are defined explicitly clear. That's where Congress is so uniquely suited, more so than any other branch of government. And that's where when Congress passes something like what we saw, the National Defense Authorization Act, or otherwise known as the NDAA, the funding of the United States military, Congress does have the very unique authority to define in explicit and unambiguous language what authorities are granted to a department and how far they exceed, to include what authorities are rescinded from previous legislative action. And so this topic that we talk about with the NDAA, and especially within that letter, the Declaration of Military Accountability, that is something that I intend to pursue wholeheartedly to ensure that in unambiguous and in really unconfusing language, plain speak, that it's abundantly clear. Our military leadership has no authority in what, in any way, to require service members to violate their constitutional rights because of their health and their medical and religious freedoms. And so that's something that I intend to champion as one of many different issues, but the defense of the individual. And that's what the Enlightenment era brought about. It was really bringing this country and this people back to what we refer to as classical liberal thought from Greek antiquity, the advocacy of the individual and the autonomy of the individual versus the tyranny of the state. And that's what we've seen in so many ways. And this is one of many topics that I hope to champion. If Lord willing, I am, I am voted and elected as a member of the United States Congress, as a representative for the Virginia 7th, um, it would be my absolute honor to carry that flag and to defend the livelihoods and the actions of so many brave and noble men and women who simply want to live their lives in peace uh, without intrusion of government where it never belonged. There are so many things in this nation that right now are broken. And I go back to the DMA only because it seems to me that if we're able to reset the military leadership and reset the military so it's, again, of the people and of the Constitution— and it uses its functioning of UCMJ, which is a very efficient justice system and very specific right. and, and very, when executed, it executes brilliantly. It would seem to me that that pivot for the nation would be substantially so, so important that it could actually start swinging in, in, into the civilian world in a profound way. Is that one of your hot topics going in or is this just another part of your campaign? Oh, it very much is. Um, I mean, we're we're in a we have a moral dilemma in this nation, and I think that ultimately we we've become a nation of laws that promotes lawlessness in a, in the most unbelievable ways. I mean, just everything within our the social media sphere, our you know the entertainment industry. I mean, just abhorrent behavior is promoted and elevated everywhere. And this effort would be one to frankly set a trend across a variety of different topics that I think would be immensely beneficial for the American people to see. Um, I also think that this would give the American people a beacon of hope that if the military, even if uncomfortably and with great challenge, was able to reverse course and hold its own officials accountable, 
that would be the start of something beautiful and dramatic that might have a rippling effect across the entire nation in a variety of different ways and topics. So I don't know what principled issue to argue over higher than the, the physical autonomy of your flesh. Um, I can't think of a civil rights argument more worthy of our visiting than of the ability to advocate on whether or not you can say yes or no to a procedure that violates your moral, ethical, and religious views, or even perhaps might be medically inappropriate for you to engage in. I submitted a medical exemption when the vaccine mandate came down for federal government employees at, at DHS through Executive Order 14043, um, but there were many that didn't. There were many that submitted religious exemptions. Um, and again, it is our responsibility to affirm those rights that are not given by government, but that are upheld and recognized by government. So I think I would agree with your point. This issue could be the catalyst to spark a much larger flame in so many areas of our lives. And that's what I'm hoping. That's huge. It gets a little confusing when you get up there on the ground because there's obviously, and I, I think it's by design personally, the indoctrination of the, of the freshman class, the sorts of policies are being pulled this way and that with the everybody wanting to meet with you and the you have a, a world of, of lobbyists that want to get into your pocket. I'm assuming you've, you're thinking that through going into this because you are, a, you are an operator. And you're, you're thinking of this I, from our conversations before. I mean, I, I think you see this as a war zone you're going into. Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will tell you that you have a lot of – so most people look at uh, – we're going to talk about party lines here. You know, this is meant to be a really political uh, delivery. The Republicans have the majority in the House of Representatives. But what's not really known is that it really only comes down to about 70, about 60 to 70 actual conservatives who are within the Republican Party. Um, the rest are sort of there, in my opinion, because it's a social club and they want to go along to get along and they're willing to make decisions. And I've seen this with my own eyes. Members of the Congress who I thought were great moral beacons make decisions and capitulations in areas because it would simply be convenient for them. An example of that was I had asked someone for help, um, and their response to me was, you know, I could help you, but it would be uncomfortable for me. And that's quite literally what I was told about a particular problem. And I won't mention who and I won't mention where. Um, and I have really been astonished at seeing some of the lack of moral character and the lack of a spine at many of these people that we lift up as great leaders to represent us in our nation's capital. On the, on the title of my website, I put a quote there very clearly. Our government should reflect the character of those in office. When we put people in office and in power and authority who have poor moral character, we should expect poor results. It doesn't matter what jersey they're wearing. It doesn't matter whether on this team or that team. If they have poor character, we need to wholeheartedly expect poor results. Um, it's not just expand the majority, expand the majority. You know, oh, yeah, we want people on our side wearing our team. Progressive politics advocates for policies. They don't care about who's wearing their jersey. They want wins from a policy perspective. They want their agenda pushed forward, regardless of who helps them. Conservatives, on the other hand, we just want more people wearing our jerseys. <laughs> we don't care if we get strategic wins. And that's what's <laughs> so astonishing to me. And I've, I've so become aware of that. And it's really quite disheartening. But that's okay, because the good fights are still worth fighting. And that's why God put us here on this earth. So I will say... There are many individuals who prioritize 
defense contracts and and some of these are amazing companies that produce unbelievable stuff i mean let's make no mistake about it some of the technology we have nowadays is really quite astonishing and remarkable however war is immensely profitable and so you have individuals who and i've seen this with my own eyes individuals who are holding a firm line against for example sending foreign aid to certain regions where it might not be in our nation's financial or even strategic best interest and they get hit up by the lobbyists they get hit up by the firms and by the donors and what i came to realize more and more is that dc is a pay for play kind of place and they want you to go along to get along and so as a candidate running interviewing for a job if you will and that's what i remind people i'm asking to work for them um, I've had to push back against some of that. And I've already received quite a bit of backlash. Um, and I will say, it looks like it's an uphill battle. And I know it is. It looks even at times like it's an impossible battle. But a good friend of mine reminded me that even if you knew it was losing, could you look your children in the eyes and say that you didn't give it everything that you had? Could you, could you feel firmly that God put you, in this, you know, on this earth and gave you an ability to fight for something? And look him in the face one day when you meet your maker and know that, well, I just, uh, I had a little bit more I could have given. I just, it was just uncomfortable. I just got tired. I got, I got frustrated and I, and I gave up. Uh, the answer is God put me on this earth to raise children. And the best way for me to emulate, or for, the best way for me to show them what moral character and fiber looks like is to do it myself and be willing to do it every day. So that's the fight that I'm taking on. And I've already had quite a bit of pushback. I've had people ask me to pull out of this race because I'm going to muck things up for another candidate. I've had people make it very clear you're never going to win and secretly wanting to co-op me if I do. Um, and so it's, it's, it's quite gross. But everything about politics is who you spend your time around, who you build your team with, who do you talk to, who's your inner circle that you keep granular and insulated so as to ensure that the darkness of the world doesn't infiltrate your inner circles. Um, and that is an especially difficult thing. When I go to D.C., I can actually, in my opinion, feel some of the evil that seeps out of that city. And I've spent many times walking around the Capitol, jogging around the Capitol, doing exercises, you know, hazing myself in the morning, doing eight-count flutter kicks or burpees or whatever, but doing so while I'm praying that the dominion and authority of God would come over this land again. And that the darkness that has such a stranglehold on our leaders and on, on the house of government, that it would be lifted and that we would be free again. So that's what I'm running on. I wish I could say that it's not a spiritual war, but the more and more I've seen, the more and more I've realized there is a deep sickness in this land. And it's time for the warrior healers to stand up to help put it back together. It's a good call, Cam. Those are good words. On... Uh... Somewhere in the month of May, they're targeting to sign a treaty, which is the World Health Organization's treaty, which essentially is a binding treaty for pandemics that strips away the rights of any nation. Have you seen this? I have. I and, have seen it. And we are apparently under this treasonous administration targeted to sign it. I'm, I, my, my personal opinion on things like this is it's because it's unconstitutional. It just doesn't have any application. The problem is we have so many stooges to go along with this unco unconstitutionality approach to everything. 
I would think that this would be something as a, another one of your rally calls up there if it does so go so far as to pass, is to block this terminally and forever. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, look, God is a, an unbelievable maker and creator of all things. And there are such diverse natures of humankind all throughout the world. Um, and there are different nation states. And to anyone who says that nations are simply a man-made construct, that's not entirely true. Um, the current makeup of them, yeah, you can make an argument there, but the fact that there are different nations and the fact that there are different regions and lands with different cultures is not 100% man-made. There is some divine influence there. That's very clear. So what this, what this treaty assigns is that we would attach our pandemic response and our pandemic mitigation efforts um, as subordinate, ultimately, to a greater UN Council or a greater international coalition, which could make more informed determinations on response efforts, on funding, on resources to include, well, Nation X has a hard time with this issue. So we're going to take medical supplies from Nation Y and give it to them because it's for the common good. Um, and that kind of plundering of resources is done for the betterment of humanity because I mean, Scott, come on, we care about people. We, that's the only way we fix these things because we care so much about each of you. Um, and that is the ruse. And that very much resurrects a lot of the arguments that Ayn Rand used to talk about, the danger of altruism and benevolence, and that the, the benevolent altruistic authority never yields good results. Um, and it's really quite astonishing. So um, I'm firmly hoping that Congress gets their grip and restricts the administration in any way, shape, or form from signing this treaty. And if signed, I pray to God. I literally say this. I pray to God that our legislators essentially step up to the plate and repeal it and rescind it, and that it is thrown out in court as being unconstitutional and unsuitable. Now, that's the unique thing about the executive branch. They do have, the executive branch does have some fairly broad authorities when it comes to treaties. Um, but there are also some constitutional provisions that do give the legislature the oversight authorities for them. So um, I am hoping that our, our current legislators have the resolve and the will to fight. One of the things I enjoy listening to you when you're speaking of these things is you're speaking with the command authority of somebody who's literally been at the point of the spear. And we don't have that. One of the greatest problems we have in our nation right now is a weakening of men and that's obviously, you know, it's one of my passions is to try to get this restored in the, in the sense of faith and being strong men in family and leadership in our nation. This is something where, as you step into, how do people respond to you with this sort of direction and directive that you give? Because you speak with authority, Cam, and it's unusual in politics and it's refreshing. Well, thank you. Um, look, I, I, I speak as a father and as a husband. I will say... Right now, we are in a crisis of leadership, and I think in vacuums, naturally, we see those with leadership capabilities and characteristics rise to the occasion. And frankly, there are more qualified and better men that could do this job than I. Unfortunately, none of them are standing up to do it. So that's why I'm in this race, because I have a, I have a future for my children to defend. Um, look, I think that humility and, and true, true masculinity is described by the sacrificial acceptance of responsibility. And I think that that's where 
The strong and powerful but humble warrior is a force for such profound goodness in this world when guided by the proper morals and when under the authority of God. Um, and so that's what I aspire to be. As an imperfect creation, I've made so many mistakes. Good Lord. And I, I have made so many mistakes as we all have. But I believe firmly that God intends us to be bold and to be brave and to be daring. And so that's what I'm hoping to do because I'm not just running so that I can attain some seat. I have a mission statement for this campaign to richly bless the lives of those of the Virginia seventh so that they might live in peace, prosperity without the intrusion of government. That's the objective, whether I'm in the position of authority to do so or not, that's irrelevant. My objective right now, the mission that I believe God has firmly put me on is to achieve that objective. And I intend to do so even if through unconventional means. So that's that kind of conviction and honesty and sincerity. And I, I, I like to credit myself as being a very sincere person. I told you, Scott, many times, my life is an open book. Ask me what you will and I'll answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, True. which in politics, that freaks everybody out because they're like, ah, you can't do that because if you tell what's on your mind, you're going to get in trouble. I'm like, oh, you mean I'll show a moral backbone? You mean I'll show some spine? and make you all look like you're a bunch of shams. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, so that's the way I've chosen to live my life. I've, I've made many mistakes along the way, um, but that's the boldness that I think we need now. We need the, the strong but humble warriors to stand up and to be vanguards defending mankind and civilization itself. So um, most places I go, I, I have a very good receiving. Um, you know, when we have conversations, when we discuss things politically and half the battle is just listening to people. If you take the time to listen, good grief, there's so much you can learn and you can find commonality in ways you didn't expect, even if unconventional. And even if there are things that I don't agree with, I'm still willing to hear people and hear their perspectives. Um, I think my wife wishes I would do it more with her. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's always reality. I'm, really good at doing it with other people i probably don't do it as well at home as i should um i think that's probably fair for a lot of men but that being said um i think the only way we climb out of this and the only way i want to run my campaign is by letting the goodness that mankind can can bring about in the earth i want that to just resonate and radiate from from the movement that i'm hoping to bring about in other people I don't want glory for my own sake. I want to bless the lives of others. Effective leaders don't seek recognition and title for themselves. What do they want? They want the empowerment and the improvement of those around them so that this team, this cohort, this group that you put together, this, that you've assembled, is at its maximum potential possible. That's the sign of a really dynamic and effective leader who inspires other people, not because they want your recognition, but because you make others better. You pour into others, as we say for, you know, in Jeremiah, the Lord speaks about they've forsaken me. They've, they've committed two egregious acts. They've forsaken me, the lot of, of living life, and they've made themselves vessels incapable of holding it. We need to let the spirit and goodness of God radiate from us everywhere so that people see it and they want to soak in it. Not because of me, not because of my family, but because of the glory of God, because of the goodness that he has and his character and nature and ways. And so that's what we need to, to show the American people. That's what our government needs to show. And that's what any public servant, regardless of where they live, that's what they should be seeking to display.
Um, and so I will say I've gotten very good receptions on a lot of that where I go. This is going to be a rather contentious question, and I'm not trying to set you up on this, but it's something that goes right back to our point of the military. And it goes in with some things that have been coming out very recently. Uh, Basil Baz, if you're familiar with him, former covert operator that's now turned child sex trafficker hero in the nation, I mean, like going after those networks, um, has documented this. It's coming out that our own DHS is actively involved in the trafficking of children across the border, and this administration is complicit in it. When we get that level yeah. of corruption in our system, where we actually have federal policing authorities being used for the criminal networks that are tied right to cartels and other global networks of, of, of horror, quite frankly, it would seem to me that they're in our oath, defend enemies foreign and domestic, that that qualifies as enemies domestic, even though it's our government. And it's a very contentious space because we've never had to face the idea, other than a civil war, of the military having to fight for the people with an enemy that has actually infiltrated and working from within. I don't know that that's a correct solution going forward, but it would seem that in the reset of the military, of resetting the goal of resetting accountability and a rightness with the Constitution, that that has to now be put on the table for any intel group, any group looking at the at our role in the military to where its role now does span exactly what it says. We can no longer turn our back on those enemies domestic that have been ravaging our country while sending our boys across the world to fight in wars that ultimately so many of them have no end purpose other than to benefit those in the military industrial complex or the banker class. What are your thoughts here? There's a lot to unpack with that, but oh, yes. I will say at DHS, um, I was a division director at the Office of Health Security, and I worked with quite a few members of the Border Patrol, principally CBP at large, AMO, OFO, BP, many, many other programs, ICE, TSA, you name it, that did some really great things. The trafficking that we're talking about is not done by the line agents. Um, they know it. I know it. Um, what is done is instead we have used NGOs, non-governmental organizations. We've used grant programs and reimbursement programs. For example, Catholic Charities of America. What if I told you almost half their annual revenue is from grants from the United States government through moving migrants from the southern border into the United States interior? Um, so the U.S. government when we say, hey, we're, we're sending people down to support the border search, what we're doing is we're diverting people from the line, sending them to areas of, of you know, crossing, and we're processing people faster. And then what we're doing is we're shipping them off once they've gone through some very primitive adjudication that, frankly, is wholly insufficient. We're shipping them off to be relocated. And we hand them off so these federal employees are there processing, doing paperwork, hand them off to non-governmental organizations or other nonprofits, and then we lose track of them. And we see that all the time. And the hope and promise is that, well, they're supposed to keep track of them, so as soon as we need them, they'll come back. And if we need to find one of them, we'll go contact them because they were the ones that resettled them. And unfortunately, that doesn't always work either. So the answer is the average Border Patrol agent is not out there trafficking kids. I can tell you that with absolute certainty. But I can also tell you with certainty we don't need federal government employees to do it because we have grant programs and contracts with other people that do it for us. And that's the dirty, nasty, awful thing about government. 
is we write bills and we write language and we dedicate funds and resources towards securing the border. And what it's really doing, a lot of it, is relocating people into the American interior, into the United States interior, many of which end up in the hands of additional smugglers or human trafficking networks or things along those lines. So I would wholly agree that anyone writing contractual language, and I, I was a, I worked on many different contracts. So none of them, the contracts I wrote actually were pertaining to this topic, but I, I have seen some and they're incredibly disheartening and incredibly frustrating because you're right. The American taxpayer is paying for this. We are paying to relocate people into the United States interior many of which go through unconventional and illegal channels and who end up being preyed upon by human traffickers, by smugglers, and by organized criminal outfits that are very much rewarded and are profiting off human suffering and catastrophe. And it's it's reprehensible. Uh, and so that's why one of the unique things that I'm hoping to expose to the American taxpayer is all that activity that goes on and how we can't do this anymore. We need to say no more. Um, we need to show how much it costs the American taxpayer, but most importantly, we need to see the human consequence to it. A nation that values human beings and values life and advocates for the individual would not perpetuate a system that continually preys upon vulnerable people who come to this country with the promise of a better life. Now, I'm not advocating for the rights of non-citizens that come here, you know, illegal immigrants that come to this nation. But many of them are decent people that want to have a better life. And they know that the United States is a very generous place and they're willing to endure significant hardship. They've also been preyed upon overseas and they pay a lot of money under the guise that if I just spend $5,000 and send my kid to America, he'll live a better life than what he has here. Never realizing that what they've just done is they've given money to a, a criminal outfit and that child has a one in three likelihood of ending up subject to some form of organized crime, much of which is pushed into the sex trade. It's disgusting. It's awful. And we have parents in primitive parts of the world that are literally willing to do this and they don't understand what they're getting into. And it is the obligation of the United States government to be transparent about these things. We want to curb illegal immigration. We need to start showing what happens to people who illegally immigrate here, how they're moved and trafficked, and what their ultimate destination looks like and what their lot looks like in life. When we show them the abject, the, the, the abstract human suffering that goes on, I think we'll find a lot of outrage and people will not be pursuing this form of you know, migrant tourism, if you will. Um, so there's a lot of messaging things that I would hope we change, or at very least to blow the lid on it, to show what's really going on, and I agree. We need public servants to simply say, no, I refuse to do this. I refuse to be complicit in this action. And that's exactly why I resigned to run. I was an 18 year public servant and I resigned after much prayer and consternation and thought and discussions and wise counsel and even prayer with you, Scott. Yes. <laughs> I was really struggling with this decision. Am I gonna do this? What am I doing? This doesn't make any sense. But at the end of the day, the, the issues that we're facing required me to be willing to be uncomfortable and to give up my stability and my comfort in the hopes of doing something noble and better. So, yes, the, the avenues that we're pursuing as a government, I intend to wholly and completely hold our public officials accountable 
those who perpetuate these egregious acts against humanity, against human beings, because that's that's how, again, we show the goodness and the good nature ways that we hope to bring about on this earth. Um, so I would very much hope to be one of those warriors shedding light on this issue so that we can preserve the integrity and the purity of the youth for, for tomorrow's generation. So well said, Kim. Last question here, and, and it deals with just listening to you talk as someone coming from a kinetic, elite, lethal side of warfare. You've pivoted now and into a completely different type of warfare, informational, political, legal, and you've adapted. I'm just listening to your dialogue. You've taken some of what you've had and you've applied it to where you're going. I just want you to speak some words of inspiration to other people because we're all facing challenges right now of having to change and adapt into a very dynamic and very fluid environment that's going to become more so. And as someone yourself coming as a Navy SEAL, stepping into probably one of the most visceral, hated places on the earth, which is literally the bowels of D.C. and all that they tried to do to you, you've stepped in with a warrior heart and you've adapted and you've overcome. Just speak to that a little bit. Thank you. Um, well, I still have the fight ongoing, so I don't want to make it seem as though I've, I've triumphed all the way through it. Um, there's still a heck of a fight ahead of me, and there's quite a bit of tools that the enemy will be using to tear me down. Even if what you have, even if the decision that you're facing, even if the ultimate goal you're seeking to achieve is impossible, and the odds are against you, and there's no chance of success, a good friend of mine asked me, would you do anything different? Would you give up, or would you continue to fight? And the response there is, it takes some real courage, but we have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to stand up for what's right and what's just, regardless of the consequences. When we think about David and the great you know, position that he found himself in, we think of, oh, you know, cute little shepherd boy getting five smooth stones, and he just sort of went out there on a whim and he slayed Goliath. No, David was prepared for this for years. David killed a lion with his hands many years earlier. David walked onto that field of battle bold and courageous, knowing that the Spirit of the Lord was with him. It takes that same degree of courage, and we have to be willing to stand for things that are bigger and stronger and better than any of us. Um, and so when we embrace that humility of who we are and our lot in life, coupled with an undeniable focus on a mission and an objective, we can do some real good in this world. Um, and when we humble ourselves to the will of our maker and we study him and his character and his ways, we can really be incredible agents of change, but not the bad kind of change, the right kind of change, the restoration of goodness and order and justice and mercy. Um, and so I would say it's a calling and, and not everyone is called to do the same job. There are some that are called for public service. There are some that are called to live quiet and humble lives. There are people that are called to be farmers and that live seemingly unimpressive lives to those in the city, but to their community and to their neighbors. Being a farmer is a noble trait because it's hard work and it's dedicated towards the improvement of the lot which God has given you. Tilling the land, caring for animals. That's not an easy life at all. And we have land, we have animals. I know exactly what that is. So the point being, the one thing all of us can do is just choose to live in truth. Live not by lies. Be gracious and diplomatic where you can but be bold and courageous when the scenario indicates, but refuse to lie, refuse to be dishonest about the truth. If we deeply value the, the, the worth of a human being, 
if we value the lives of others, we should be willing to tell the truth because deceit goes down the road to hell. And, and deceit is not something that should be perpetuated in any way, um, which is difficult you know, for people that are career spies and work in intel. I, I, I was always told by a friend of mine, you could never be a spook. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, I know I couldn't be because I'm just too honest. I'll tell you exactly what I think and why. I can't lie to people. I just don't like doing it. Um, but that's really, that's some of the goodness that mankind has. And I would argue that mankind can perform in. So I would argue for people, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, live not by lies. Be bold and be courageous, even if it's seemingly insignificant. Uh, because some of the smallest sparks produce incredible flames. You're starting a fire, you know, every morning in my, my wood-burning stove, I lay out kindling and I start the spark. And there's hopefully some hot embers from the night before. That's well and good. But after about 30 minutes, I've turned a tiny little spark with a little bit of residual heat into an engulfed flame that's now heating my house quite a bit. And so these actions, what we do in the unseen, what we do when no one's looking, what we do when there's no one there to hold us accountable, the fact that we have the ability to hold ourselves accountable, like James Madison said, we do not hold the stability of this nation based upon the Constitution, rather we hold the stability of this nation to be based upon the individual governing themselves according to the commandments of God. When we execute personal accountability, self-governance, and we tell the truth, we can do some real good in this world, brother, and it will be a force to be reckoned with. So that's what I would encourage people with. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, there's many different jobs and trades in life. As long as you can look your children in the eyes and know that what you're doing is noble and you refuse to live in deceit and you live in truth and honesty and goodness, helping out and improving the lot of your fellow man and woman, then I think we can really be agents of the right kind of change we need and the spiritual awakening that I hope our nation has. Good words, Ken. Excellent words. What's uh, the place people can follow you and, and also support your campaign? Oh, thank you, brother. Well, it's not really about me. It's about you guys. But um, if you want to help me, that would be great because I do need, I do need help. There's no denying that. Uh, they can do so at CameronHamilton.com. And that's my campaign website. They can read about me and see my intro video. I would ask if you're not sure what you think about me or you're not sure what you think, just watch my video. You look here, you don't need to donate to my campaign. You can if you want to. I'd be honored if you did. But um, if nothing else, just watch my video and just meet me and just get to know who I am and what I value and where I come from and why I think we can do better than what we've been given. Um, and then just share it with other people. So it won't come at any monetary expense. I would just ask that people do that that they'd be willing to share my campaign video. And most importantly, that the principles we just talked about, that they would be willing to live by those themselves and impact the lives of others. I don't need recognition or anything. I just need, we all need to be good human beings, <laughs> faithful servants of our living God, um, bringing about a better future for our children. Amen. Well, can we always do a prayer at the end? If it's okay, I'll do a prayer for you. Absolutely. I'll be honored. Father God, I just want to thank you for Cam Hamilton and just a voice of the warrior heart of Christ. It reminds us of our commitment, reminds us of our calling, reminds us of the integrity and the incorruptibility of our hearts that we have to have as we step into this fight. Father, just pray for the blessings on his family, blessings on all that he does. 
that his words continue to be words spoken of kingdom themselves, an anointed word that awakens people, stirs them. And as he touches each person, may they be inspired by the desire to serve this nation with the commitment and the vigor and intensity which he's done himself. Father, he's asked that he will, all those that come around Cameron will continue to support him in great ways, provide him with the resources needed, and that we bless his campaign, immensely bless his campaign, to be able to pursue and to overcome, as David did with Goliath. Let Cameron be that voice again, that winner, that, that accomplishment, that is doing things not for himself, but doing things for the greater good of kingdom in a process of restoring this nation and rooting out the dark and the evil. Bless him and guide him. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Cam. It's awesome having you on, man. And just uh, and do you take volunteers too? I just wanted to catch that because we talked about that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can sign up for, uh, to be a volunteer on the website too. There's a you know join our team. That's a way to way to do that. So yeah, absolutely. You put your name, information. We can contact you, and we're gonna be we're gonna be reaching out to a lot of our volunteers who've who've asked to assist us here in the next couple of weeks with you know door knocking and getting the word out. Okay. Again, your your primary is. June 18th, right? That's correct. Okay. So we're going to, we're planning a, we're going to, I'm just putting it on the calendar now. We're going to do a full show visual prayer for you and your campaign. And we're going to get others involved. I'll get the church of glad tidings involved. And we're going to set people up to pray for you that day and to bring those, those bring you across the line for the first level of victory. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Well, I'm going to drive down. If we can pull this off, I'm going to drive down and see you and shake your hand and give you a big old hug, maybe even a wet kiss. But <laughs> <laughs> that would up, it'll be great. And just to remind everybody, Cam was at Bards Fest, and I'm hoping you'll be there again this next year. We'll be at the same place. And we got some other things you and I will talk about offline that are coming together with Corey and I. So it'll be good. It'll be great. Yeah, I'd be honored. Thank you very much, brother. You have a blessed day, and just thank you for coming on. Just uh, honored to know you. Same to you, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. Patriots, that was Cameron Hamilton, retired Navy SEAL who's running in District 7 in Virginia for Congress. He's fantastic. I, I'm going to tell you, when you meet people like this, I, I think people know me well enough on this show that I don't jump way out here in politics to endorse anybody. I don't do so because, as a general rule, I can't stand politicians. I don't care who you are. But this man is not a politician. He's a warrior. And I will assure you, Everything you heard is for real. There's a real thing that happens when you get real warriors that come into this space for the right reason. They're not trying to do it for, and I've come to know Cam through the politics of decision, of having to decide, when I say that, the decision to make to step into the polit political realm. The discussions we've had, got to see his heart, and it's not often that you find somebody who truly is stepping up in the same level of integrity as our founding fathers, and that's him. And so we need this. And this is one of these campaigns that I'm going to encourage you to get involved with. There'll be a number of them as we go forward. This is a big one. It's an important one. It's one that we need to win, too, because it's in a critical district. And while I'm not about getting numbers, on, as he said himself, Republican or Democrat side, what we're looking for is the patriots that can step into the arena and no matter what they face, pursue it with the integrity of our Constitution and the will of the people. So Cam is one of those people. He is a fantastic voice. Excuse me a minute. He's a fantastic voice and one that we need to 
support in every way we can. So with that said, as I'm kind of choking myself out on the show tonight, unbelievable. Support it. CameronHamilton.com. If you're in the area and you can be a volunteer, try to volunteer. If you can support him from afar, do so. It's an aggressive fight. There's a lot of resources being thrown against him for good reason because they're afraid of what he brings. And we need to truly step in and support him in every way we can. So, Patriots, thank you for this evening. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh.